With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can follow us all over social media at Golf Unfiltered, and you can send us an email, golfunfiltered at gmail.com. Go out to iTunes and rate us five stars. If you like what we do here on the podcast, be sure to leave us a comment as well, because we take all of that feedback very seriously. And of course, before we get into today's show, I want to say hello to our friends over at thehackersparadise.com. If you're listening to this on the THP mobile app, hello to our friends over at Cleveland and Srixon Golf, really enjoying the new Z-Forged Irons. Just it's so pure. Just loving hitting those every single time I go out to the course. And of course, hello to our friends over at budgetgolf.com. Go out to budgetgolf.com, take a look at all the great things that they got going on, all the great sales. Get your game in gear, literally, for the warm weather. And finally, here in Chicagoland, we have had a pretty good stretch of weather. Had the chance to play golf over the weekend with a few people, including my friend uh, and tonight's guest, Mr. Michael Verska. He is a return guest. He's been on the show a few times, and listeners love him. Listeners love to ask questions of him. And today we are going to talk more about golf equipment, but specifically about how golf equipment is tested, not only by websites like ours and and others, but also by original equipment manufacturers themselves. And it's really interesting, some of the topics that Michael and I go into today, and I hope that you find uh, that they're educational as much as they are interesting. And uh, there's just so much that goes into making sure that the products perform the way that they need to perform for a brand before they actually get to the store shelf. That's probably something that we take for granted. We don't, probably don't even think about that. But something that's been coming up on social media lately, and, and it's I feel like a lot of these shows stem from what I read on social media, which is fine. I mean, I'm on there all the time. And of course, a lot of you send me emails as well to talk about certain topics. But one of the topics that keeps coming up is the concept of whether or not the testing protocols that some websites do is adequate enough or not to distinguish whether or not there's a significant difference between two clubs or between two golf balls or between two golf products that everyone can go out and try and buy. Not too long ago, I actually wrote an article that appeared on uh, our website talking about statistical significance. It's in a new weekly feature that we're going to roll out called Unfiltered Friday, and it's going to really run a gamut on different topics. And so it's not always going to be about nerdy statistical things or testing protocols. But as I've said a few times on the show, you guys know that I work in that world in process improvement during the day when I'm not saving the world talking about golf. And one of the things that I do every day is I, I help my organization improve the way that they do business 
uh, by, well, for one, training others in, in the methodology that I follow, but also actually working on projects and designing experiments to actually see, hey, did we make a difference or did we just make a change? And I feel that that really translates well into the whole golf equipment testing and review space, especially recently. Uh, when some pretty high-profile testing results have come out, uh, specifically about golf balls, then, of course, others, other websites uh, focus on other products. And yes, even us at Golf Unfiltered, we do some very high-level testing and reviews of equipment that really touches more on how we think that the equipment feels, how it works well for us, and never to tell you whether or not you should buy something. Now, there is a big difference between making a switch just because you have a preference and you want to try something new versus making a change in anything, whether it be a business process or a new piece of golf equipment, because you can tell that that, is, that will actually improve your game in this instance. And in the article that I referenced, I type, uh, I, type I write a little bit, well, I guess that's, that's the appropriate way to put it, I write a little bit about this concept of statistical significance. And Michael and I talk a little bit about it today in our conversation, so I won't spoil that. But I do want to say that I am fully aware that some of the things that I mentioned in the article as far as how you should design an experiment adequately so that you have a big enough sample size and and that you can go ahead and make sure that your reliability and your repeatability, you know, all of that is is sound. And that's, you know established really well. I, I go into all of that. I understand that that all costs a lot of money. I know that if I were to do that for Golf Unfiltered or me and my team here at Golf Unfiltered were to try to do anything of that nature, we would need the funding to do that. I, I'm not going to go and drop thousands of dollars to establish a, a, a design of experiment that's going to not only ensure that the randomness of the samples are protected, but also to make sure that the results that come out are tried and true and all the variables that you can think of, whether it be fatigue for the person hitting the golf ball or changes in the weather that may impact the way that a golf ball flies. All of those things have to be controlled, and that does take a lot of resources that, quite frankly, I don't have the time, nor do I have the patience, nor do I have the means to go ahead and design that. That's not a cop-out. I hope it doesn't come across as that, because I don't want to sound like a hypocrite either where I write this article saying, hey, this would be a better way to conduct these experiments, and then in the next breath turn around and say, well, you go ahead and do that. Because then I would be like other websites. And I think we know who I'm talking about. At any rate, the point being here is that there are many differences in golf products that, whether or not we know it, they exist. And what I'm talking about specifically is manufacturing tolerances. Any product that you buy off the shelf, off an assembly line, if it's touched by human hands, there are going to be differences from one to the next, even if it's the exact same product. Now, I know when we're talking about something like golf equipment that's designed by uh, machines and, and, you know, CAD machines and, and artificial intelligence, if you're Callaway, for crying out loud, human hands, human interaction is very minimal or at least it's, it's decreasing over time, there's still going to be some, some variance in the design from one product to the next. And so Michael and I get into all of that today. We also talk about why that matters and why you should care about it as a consumer and how that could impact your game depending on the type of uh, product you buy. 
in some instances, depending on the actual lot or the item off the assembly line, like I said. It all depends. So, Michael Verska and I get into that very deep here in just a second. We will be right back after a quick word. Let us know what you think about today's discussion. Sit back and relax. Here we go. Hi, this is Bill Hobson from the Four Golfers Network podcast. And as you and I enjoy this episode of Golf Unfiltered with my friend Adam, I'm reminded of an indisputable reality. We, as golfers, are nuts. We chase a small ball around the planet, spending thousands of dollars in the effort to get that ball into a tiny hole. We then yell at the ball and curse it when it doesn't listen, even though it can't listen, it's a ball. This insanity is all part of the magic of the game, and it's what we celebrate on the Four Golfers Network podcast every Monday when a fresh episode comes your way on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, you know, all the places. So after you finish listening to Adam today, I'd love to have you check out the Four Golfers Network podcast, that's F-O-R-E, where we celebrate the game with top-name guests and an exploration of the things about golf that both drive us crazy and bring us back for more. I stink! The ball is just sitting there and I can't hit it! Welcome back, folks. As I mentioned, we are happy to welcome back Mr. Michael Verska for the 700th time on the Golf Unfiltered podcast. Michael, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. I think this is 698, though. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But uh, always happy to be here and talk golf. I'm always good, plus or minus, to episodes it's just really timely for what we're going to talk about today <laughs> um and that Good. being uh, a lot of uh, a lot of talk about product testing equipment testing obviously there's been some pretty whole pro- high profile uh tests and and results have been circulating throughout the golf atmosphere but uh you know just a reminder remind our listeners you worked in the golf industry and in many ways continue to do so for many years and you are an engineer by trade and so it would be safe for me to say, I think, that you've seen your fair share of product testing. Am I right? Uh, I have set up, run, conducted, managed uh, more tests than I can possibly count over the last uh, tw- almost 20 years now of, of golf time. So, uh, yes, and, uh, that is something I have, uh, have some expertise and knowledge in. And you approach it not only from the perspective of watching a new product leave an original equipment manufacturer's back door, but you also come at it from the perspective that you've designed golf clubs, correct? Absolutely. And as part of that whole process of design, there's a lot of testing that goes on. There's a lot of metrics that you have to keep track of. Give our listeners a little bit of background on the typical testing approach, even at a high level, when a new product is being designed, when it is uh, you know, being tested before it reaches the store shelves, what does that look like? Is that a fast process or is that something that takes quite a while? No, it, it, well, uh, yeah, well, it, it's a fast process in the sense that we're, we're trying to go typically through multiple tasks, um, but it's a slow process. Obviously, you, you want to limit the variables and uh, so, you know, typically if you're, let, let's just take a set of irons, um, just to make it simple here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, what you typically do is you're going to test a long, middle, and short iron. Uh, and then you're going to, you're going to pick out, you know, four or five, maybe six, eight at the absolute most of the products that you think are, are both market leaders and that you're trying to compete against or you think consumers will want to compete against. So it would typically be your last product. So you're going to compare your last product to your, to your new product. 
Uh, and again, you know, if you're not the market share leader, what is the market share leader or what the clubs that, you know, are, are selling well that you want to compete against? Uh, you know, never, uh, I shouldn't say never, almost never would an OEM test 20 different sets of irons. It's just not, it's just not what is needed, right? You're not going to, first of all, you're not going to test a blade versus a super game improvement product. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first thing would be to, to get in that group and then just what are the key, you know, clubs that you want to compete against? Uh, whether maybe it's, you know, maybe you're worried about losing a tour player if it's a better, you know, if it's a better player or a blade. And, you know, your tour, you know, you heard rumors that, you know, Company X is going after one of your tour players. want to make sure I've got the data to understand how we can compete against that. So there's lots of different reasons. Um, but usually you're trying to get, you're trying to narrow the field to the most important clubs um, and then go right after that. And again, we're just talking about irons here, mm-hmm. uh, long, middle, and short irons. You'd have a standard setup. Um, of whatever that be, and, and usually that includes, uh, you know, some sort of of uh, a test club that you use as a setup. Hey, well, I'm going to set up the machine to to launch Club X always at this launch angle, at this ball speed, at the spin rate, and I'm just going to put the clubs in and see how they compare to that standard club. The other way you might do it is say, okay, hey, we we believe, you know, through player testing. That our that this new club that we're testing, which is the center of the test, if you will, you know, has a 26 degree launch angle and 6800 spin rate. So we're going to manipulate the robot to get that equip what we've already found mm-hmm. from player testing. So there's two different, at least two different, but those are the main two ways you would go about it. Is do we want to replicate the the launch and spin and ball speed we've got from player testing? Or do we want to make this a standard test where we're going to get something, a known element, and then compare everything to that known element? That's interesting. And so when, regardless of either path you go down, how does an OEM decide, I guess, what to market? Because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, Michael. Uh, you and I have talked about this, about, you know, well, is there truth in advertising? Is there truth in marketing? I would imagine that there's some thought, a great deal of thought, that goes behind, all right, well, to use your example that you just outlined, two uh, iron sets from a manufacturer, the most recent versus the previous model. Does an OEM try to focus on certain characteristics that they want to improve on based on customer feedback? Or or how does that work that they can actually say, we we made a longer club or it's a more uh, consistent club? Well, th- and this comes into where marketing is. And I don't mean this in a negative way. I think too many golfers hear marketing and they, they throw their arms up and say, you know, something bad's about to happen. But, but you know, what do you want to market? Are you marketing this as a longer club? Are you launching this as a higher uh, or a higher launching club? Are you launching this as a more forgiving club? And you'd want to, and you'd want to pull out test data that highlights that feature, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing, and, I, and one of the things I think cons- that consumers, when they think about OEM testing, Again, let's go back to my fictitious example where we're testing the new club against eight clubs. You know, that doesn't mean that we're going to put all eight results out for the world to see. <laughs> okay. you know, we are going to most likely pick the three or four that we do best against. Sure. Or pick the three or four that, again, highlight. Again, maybe we're saying that, you know, we think uh, a super game improvement needs to high, launch higher. That's what our, our data is saying. So, you know, we may only compare it against, and we may only show the launch angle. Hey, we launch higher, we launch higher than our old club by 1.2 degrees, and we launch higher versus X by, you know, the competitor X by 0.8, competitor Y by, by 1 degree, and competitor Z by 1.4. 
So that doesn't necessarily mean that it was even the highest launching in the whole test, right? Hmm. So, uh, and I think that's where sometimes consumers think that, oh, you know, I, I read this marketing and they're lying. I have never worked for a company that would flat out lie in, in that regard, period, that would fudge numbers. But again, there's the truth and there's the whole truth, right? Right. So I, I believe that people are telling the truth. Again, I, period, everything I've been associated with. But that doesn't mean I have to reveal every result that I have from that test data. Right. Uh, there's a very famous um, test, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'll, I'll please, if, I don't have this where I'm going off memory, but there was a, a test about fairy wood that were claiming 17 yards longer. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people probably remember that. But if you read the fine print, I think that was you know one club against one other club with a very, very, very limited number of golfers hmm. and so they can people if they're curious can go look that up themselves that was a fact again club the club the two clubs they were testing for this limited golfers they probably did get 17 golfers now again i wasn't there i'm not saying that this happened but did they test 40 golfers and pick the three that was the biggest difference i'm not saying that they did because i don't know i wasn't there but that wouldn't be lying that just might not be telling the whole truth they were telling a truth so I think that's one of the things that consumers get confused. I, I really do not believe there are any golf club, any golf club companies lying. I, I, maybe I'm naive. Mm. I've worked in several. There was no not lying in that regard in the ones I worked for. The what? people I know in the industry are generally honest people. So, but that doesn't mean you present everything. Well, and and that's basically marketing, isn't it? I mean, let's just take it. That from, is marketing. I mean, that's a, any business you go into, you're, you're gonna. Uh, have those half truths, I guess you could say, and that's probably even being unfair to the to the profession itself. I mean, my wife is a marketer, and I can guarantee you that she doesn't put out all the data from her company either. And and there's a very strategic reason for that. But we do see those types of data being shown all the time. I can think of at least three recent driver releases, for example, that have shown charts comparing their new driver to others that were just released and theirs is always at the top of the list. <laughs> and I always find that funny yeah. because uh, the next one will come out and that same driver will be a few notches down. That That's pretty much what you're talking about though, right? Yeah. And uh, again, and especially with robot testing and, I, and to be clear, I'm a, I'm a big fan of robot testing. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think it has a place. I'm also a huge fan of player testing. So I, I really believe there's important places for both. Um, but you can manipulate results. Let, let's 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 take a look at a driver, for example. Let's say that you've you've got a driver that's all designed and done, and you have to launch it be, for for a number of reasons, right? You, you've you've announced you're going to launch it. Before you get to the end, and all of a sudden you find out, for example, let's say it's launching low. Mm-hmm. So you you run your standard test, and you go, oh my gosh, this driver's launching low. We're shorter. So do you go tell the market, hey, we're launching this driver, it's not very good? Well, the answer to that is, of course not, right? Right. So what you would do is you would adjust the launch angle on, on the robot, continue to move the ball forward, uh, change the angle of attack, whatever. There's many ways to launch the ball higher. It's the same as a golfer doing a robot. Until guess what? This new driver you're launching suddenly launches higher. Hmm. Well, if you put all those other clubs that were launching higher, guess what? They probably launch too high now, Correct. Correct. So when you when you put that data out, suddenly your driver is the winning driver. <laughs> it's, but you it's might have had to manipulate a standard test to get there. Are they lying? Absolutely not. 
will they produce the results? I mean, there's, there's, you know, fair advertising claims that if people really want to go through, they can probably get the test parameters. Um, you know, I've worked at companies that had been questioned by, um, other legal things where we had to produce, Hey, this is how we set the machine up. This is exactly how we ran it. Uh, it you all stop there, you know, so that we, you know, we're willing to show the, how we got there. We're willing to show the setups and the results and away we go. Um, but again, there, there is real R and D data, which is, I would usually say not manipulated, but there can be marketing data where again, uh, my low launching driver example, which is not lying, hundred percent, not lying. It's but, in, yeah, so interesting. you wanted to win. Yeah. Well, and you're right, because you can set up any test uh, parameter-wise to kind of give you the results that you want. And Well, and that's the thing, right? And, I, I, and I, again, not trying to harp on robot testings, but one company's versus another company's versus another company's standard setup can be vastly different. Mm-hmm. And none of them are incorrect. Hmm. That's just their standard setup. So that's the other thing, right? There is no true standard setup. There's just what company X wants to set it up, and that's how they always do it. They can get very different results from company Y using their standard setup because their standard setup's different. <laughs> the ball's two inches further back or higher or, or whatever the case may be. So from a consumer standpoint, then, what are, what are we to believe? What, who should we listen to? Go get to? fit. Go get fit. Go get fit. <laughs> I think I've said that in the last couple of these. Go get fit. I think you have. Well, and it's it's funny too because you touched on the fact that there's no standard uh, testing protocol or parameter. But I know you know you and I have had conversations about all right. Well, there should be at least some thought that goes behind, especially for independent golf sites like Golf Unfiltered, for example. You know where we want to go and we want to do some reviews. Now we do our reviews a little bit differently. We talk more on a personal side where it's how it performs for us. But if you wanted to go out right now today, if you and I went out, got a bunch of drivers on the market, and we wanted to do a test, I mean, we'd have to put some thought behind the design of experiment, wouldn't we? Unquestionably, yes. And that is probably the same amount of thought, and even more so, for these companies that are producing these products that they know are going to be reviewed by other sites, by other people, by the consumers themselves, because you can't go into a PGA Superstore without a ball launch monitor. I mean, that's... Even a, a club fitting, as you mentioned, you're going to see the data, how it yep. performs. And if it's different than what's being marketed, they're taking a risk by anything that they put out there. Unquestionably, yes. And I, I think launch monitors and, you know, places like, um, you know, PGA Tour Superstore with all their bays and, you know, competing pr- companies like Club Champion and all the great work that they do. You can go in and find out if that driver is right for you. Um you know, and I think when once you, you know, I, I think there's nothing wrong with looking at marketing and going, hmm, I find this marketing intriguing. Mm-hmm. That's what it's supposed to do. As an educated, if you want to be an educated consumer, that's all it should be. This is intriguing. I want to go find out for myself. Now, there are other reasons why a product might perform differently than advertised. And I'm speaking more in regard to the whole concept of manufacturing tolerances. Now, over, uh, you know, recently on social, and you and I have chatted a little bit uh, along with our buddy JB about just the difference in manufacturing tolerances from one company to the next. And, you know, Mm -hmm. this is a concept that I think isn't talked about enough, especially among average golfers. Now, just at a very high level to kind of level set here, Michael, what is the definition of manufacturing tolerance? So in any manufacturing process, there's going to be things that cannot be controlled 
um, within a certain spectrum. So again, let's take something simple like loft. A cast iron or a forged iron, doesn't really matter the manufacturing process, um, is going to go through a series of steps. And even at the end, two things that were right next to each other in the assembly line went through the exact same processes can have different lofts. Um, you know, maybe the metal, you know, maybe when it was cooling, either again from a forging or from a casting, maybe it was a little bit farther on in the cooling area, or maybe it was a little closer to the, where the cooling fans were, and it just cooled at a slightly different rate. Hmm. You know, it could be just a, a couple degrees that we're talking here could affect that. Um, you know, there, there's so many things that go into it, so many steps that uh, it's almost impossible to pinpoint that. Now, there's people who's literally their entire jobs is to minimize that those tolerances. Um, but, you know, the golf industry as a whole is really kind of settled into this plus or minus one degree um, for virtually all clubs. Now, um, you know, and I, I was reading one of the forums recently and somebody posted, well, they could just make it, you know, 0.1 degrees and, um, you know, and they'd have to scrap a lot. Well, that's kind of true, but it's kind of not. Can you actually, actu- excuse me, accurately and repeatedly measure loft? to hmm. 0.1 degrees. So it also comes into your measuring tolerances, which is something that, quite frankly, no one should think about if they want to, you know, if their goal is to break 80 measuring tolerances, it should be about 10,000 on their importance list. Um, but if, if they are, these things go hand in hand. How repeatedly, how, how, what kind of repeatability do I get from, again, let's just look at lie, mm-hmm. uh, for, excuse me, loft, what kind of repeatability can I get from my loft machine, and how does that factor into my tolerances? So Again, the, the standard in the industry for virtually everything. Now, milled products are, are a little bit tighter. So putters, you could maybe take putters out. But virtually everything else, excuse me, milled putters, you would leave cast putters in. But, mm-hmm. but virtually everything else is, is plus or minus one degree. And even the ones who have really tight tolerances, you're talking, you know, 0.6, maybe 0.7 is really the, the tightest that I'm aware of. Now, maybe there's... Um, you know, I, I have no idea what PXG is doing. Obviously, they charge significantly more. Maybe they've got something I'm not aware of, but I would be surprised um, if anyone is, again, below that. Well, one of the things PXG is doing is sending Pat Perez a new driver, and I said that. Michael didn't say that. So <laughs> and people who watch on social know what I'm talking about. But you mentioned something that was really interesting, too, about just the difference in measuring tolerance as well so it's not just the product itself but it's also how it's being measured and that's something that's very important and i know you had mentioned that that might be the ten thousandth thing on someone's list but it's at least important to know that there are human beings who are measuring these clubs in a lot of instances and golf balls or whatever Um, there are certainly a lot of machines that handle that as well but there's always room for error is the point and the reason i bring that up Part of our conversation the other day was that maybe you don't always trust what is stamped on a driver, for example. So if it says 10.5, in your opinion, Michael, how often is that driver really going to be 10.5 on the nose? Well, so before I answer that, the first thing to recognize is it could be stamped 10.5. But if you got to see the engineering print, the engineering print may say the standard is 11 or 11.5. Or even ten degrees. So, so there, there's the stamped, and then there's the engineering, and the world will never know what the engineering is. Um, so, so having said that, um, you know, with a good bell curve and a good manufacturing, you know, you're, you're probably looking at, you know, two thirds roughly of that, 
you know, let's assume a 10.5 is the right number. You're looking at, you know, two thirds should be in that, you know, 10.1, mm-hmm. 10.2 to 10.7, 10.8 range. Now I say that because if you gave the same person that same driver and told him to go measure the loft 10 times, that same person might get 10.2 to 10.8 on the same head just from setup and human error and repeatability. So, um, you know, it's not just, oh, 10.5 or bust, you know, again, because of the just the inherent nature of measuring uh, a club that has two curvatures on the face, right, both bulge and roll. Um, to get that right, there, there's inherently some tolerance. But yeah, more often than not, you're going to hit that engineering. But again, you know, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see 9.5 or 11.5. Again, a certain percentage of the time, depending on um, the OEM's uh, repeatability. Now, in terms of so repeatability is one factor of it. Reproducibility is the other. And so for OEMs, do they have multiple people kind of you know quality checking themselves to make sure, or is it just one person usually so, measuring? Well, the answer is they have multiple, and and I, I'm not trying to plug any company here, but sure. the bigger the company, um, the more dollars they have to spend, the more checks they're going to be able to put in. Period. Um, you know, and and quite frankly, the more checks they're going to have to put in because they're making more product. Right. 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 If you're making thirty thousand drivers versus you know five thousand drivers. Um, there's going to be more what's called tools involved, the parts that make the, the, the head. Again, I, we could talk about this for hours, and we know we've joked about that. <laughs> but you could buy a, a driver from company. You know, if you go to a rack at a, at a store that has 10 drivers um, from one of the big companies, those drivers may come off of three or four or five different tools. Now, the tool is the very basic that creates the wax that you, that puts, that you put titanium in that becomes the club head. So even tools from one tool to the next could have slight loft or lie or length, excuse me, not length, or weight variance. Mm. So there are so many variables into these that, that people can, can head just spin around. So, you know, I, I guess what the most important thing is, go get fit, and you make sure you ask your fitter, did you check the things that mattered to you? Did you check the loft? Did you check the lie? Are you sure this is similar to the head I was fit on? You know, it's not unfair to, again, for drivers specifically, if you're not going to buy that driver, again, I don't think you need to. Have you checked the loft of this driver? Yeah, I understand that you put me in plus one on the hosel setting. But what did, is, did it really start at 9.5 or is this one that's 9.8 um, that really, you know, we, we really need to get closer to 10 degrees? So I think those are fair questions to ask in the fitting process. A good fitter is going to probably already have measured it and say, yeah, we've measured all these heads. We know exactly what they are, uh, and we will match it up. So, uh, again, that's kind of a long-winded answer that I think answered your question. Oh, it did. If not, you can – it's no. your podcast. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> no, it definitely did. It, it kind of it brought up a few other questions, actually. So it was a very good answer, Michael. Good job. Um, so another <laughs> question that came up was, all right, well, I would have to assume – and I actually don't know the answer to this, but I would have to assume that those differences, even a degree difference, degree and a half, that's going to have some impact on performance. No, unquestionably, yeah. When you when you're when you really get much more than, uh, you know, I, I've always said, if you're an average, even above average amateur, you know, if you're a five or six handicap golfer, even you know, once you get more than about a half a degree three quarters of a degree, you can probably say, well, you know, I, I'm a little concerned about this. Um, 
but you know the people who go oh you know this loft is off point two i got good news for you you're not that good um <laughs> you know unless somebody's going to give you a giant staff bag and pay you to walk around and actually pay somebody else to walk around with it next to you <laughs> that point two or point three is not going to make one bit of difference your consistency of angle of attack your consistently deliver the golf ball um, is not but if when you're talking a degree to a degree and a half that is a significantly bigger deal um, that that should be checked out and 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 again a good fitter is going to take care of things like that and so to take that then and go back to kind of the marketing discussion one of the things that we're seeing a lot more of especially on social are and even at the the pga show when we went to it are these independent companies now you just mentioned that larger companies of course are going to have the bigger you know wallets to have bigger QC mm-hmm. departments. These smaller companies, these artisan companies that are making everything you know quote unquote by hand, uh, which is may or not may or may not be true in many instances. Uh, but I would imagine yeah. that you know well they're they're priding themselves on the craftsmanship and they're they're showing it off and they're saying hey look how great the stuff is that we're making. Would it be a logical jump for me to then say well wait how do I know your QC process is as good as, you know, a Callaway, a Titleist or a TaylorMade, or is that me just being a little too pessimistic? No, I, I think now give me a second answer. Cause I know as soon as I'm halfway through this, you know, a bunch of people are going to go up in arms. <laughs> there is no way for, you know, a one or two or three person operation to have the QC of a Callaway, of a TaylorMade, of a Titleist. You know, those companies literally have 40 or 50 people on the ground where these clubs are being made, not counting the people at headquarters who worry about it. So it's just not possible right now. The difference becomes the, the artisan, the one or two or three shop guys, they're probably checking the loft and lie on everything that leaves their shop. So maybe they don't have as good a QC coming in, but that doesn't mean they don't have as good a QC coming out. Uh, again, if you buy a, a set of irons from a major OEM, they're not checking the loft on every golf club. They're check. They're assuming their tolerances are going to be good enough. If you buy it for again somebody who's a one or two person operation where they're only selling, you know, five sets a week, eight sets a week, mm-hmm. the owner of that or the, or the manager of that is probably going to touch every set. So they they might have time to check the loft and lie of every single golf club that leaves. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's it, it is fair to say that a major OEM has more QC. Unquestionably, they do. Mm. Um, but again, that doesn't necessarily put the small guys, the conscientious small guys, the guys who are really into it and passionate. And if they're in the business, I'm sure they are. Again, they they have the they have the ability to what I will say catch up by looking at more details on every golf club. Well, now I've got a really nerdy question for you because where you just went Ooh, to an area my favorite. <laughs> and being an engineer, you'll, you'll know what I mean by this, of course. And now what you just described kind of paints the picture for me about the benefits of a pool system versus a push system. And so for a push yeah. system, you know, the bigger brands are probably pushing out product uh, certainly to us in response to demand to a degree, but then and then some. Whereas the smaller brands, the guys that are, you know, the one, two, three man shops who are taking orders, creating those clubs made to order, literally, and then pulling them out. Is that where these smaller companies are going to really have an upper hand in some instances, depending on your point of view? 
Yeah, and I, I think that's. Uh, I think the answer to that is yes. Again, for those people who are hypersensitive, whether whether they whether it affects their performance or not, it certainly affects their belief on their performance. That those small companies can. Now, having said that, that's why I think that you know so many of these really higher end fitters, the club champions, the cool clubs, the <clears throat> excuse me, the ones like that. You know, they you're you're getting that same situation, right? As, as that small shop getting some, you know, highly trained people to touch it. If again, if you want a, a Callaway, let's just say, or a TaylorMade, if you go to one of those high end fitters, you're getting that same experience. So then you're you're getting the OEM and and the individual. You're kind of getting a pull, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not buying off the shelf. The shaft is different. The grip is different. The people assemb- assembling them are different. They're not coming in a box on a large boat or an airplane over a very large body of water. Hmm. Um, you know, they're coming in as heads only and they're, and the shafts are coming from a different place and maybe they're even frequency matching the shafts or, or peering or, or some other thing. So, so again, I, I think custom fitting is both the future and the present because of all the things we've talked about, you know, it's not, you can't just say, Oh, my driver does this. Well, guess what, buddy, I'm getting on the launch monitor. I will see for myself if your driver does that. Hmm. Hey, you know, I got fit for these. I can go right down to my local shop and, hey, I need you to check the loft and lie on me. So the, the way the, the golf market has, has evolved to me is so consumer-centric now for the people who are willing to take the time and there's value in that and spend the money to get fit. You know, there is that benefit of that boutique and product from a big OEM. Now, we haven't had the chance to play golf together yet, but at the time of this recording, it, we would have played golf on Saturday. And I have at l- I guarantee you that I'm going to be using at least one excuse that my tolerance is off <laughs> for, for, <laughs> for any bad shot that I hit. God willing, well, that Bob Dylan Reynolds will. Okay, one of them. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listeners, we're talking to Michael Verska again. Obviously, a guy who's been on the show a few times. Um, you know, Michael. Another quick question for you. I mean, all this talk about the different tolerances and the measurement system and the products themselves, as well as all the work that goes into the R&D. You know, you were on here last time, too, talking about golf shafts and how there's definitely no standard for measuring that either. But for the actual uh, product testing before anybody even knows a club exists, how how much testing goes into that? And I know that club releases can take multiple years in some instances. I mean, there, there was talk that Callaway was testing the Epic flash driver for a very long time before it even saw the light of day from your experience. How, how much testing in terms of length of time are we talking about here? So I, I would say on a minimum of you're talking six months, an absolute minimum of six months. And that would be both robot and player that would most likely be using different golf balls. Um, you know, it's not uncommon. Again, I can't speak for every cup company, but you would test the, test, you know, the clubs with both your golf balls. Um, and then if it's not the leader, you know, what some of the, what would perform in some of the leading situations. Uh, you may even, che- you know, you may even check it with, you know, a, a ball you hear is coming out and, Hey, we're going to get something similar to that. So you'd be testing with both robot on both robots and players multiple times each. Um, in, in, you know, hopefully multiple conditions, um, you know, meaning, uh, you know, weather conditions. Let's test it when it's hot. Let's test it when it's just kind of medium warm. Are we getting any differences there? Um, you know, are we getting players with different uh, angles of attack? Are we getting players of, you know, all with a similar handicap? Again, if you're going for a better player group, you're going to be a low handicap. But 
are we getting players with different swing speeds in that low handicap range? Are we then correlating that to the robot data? What are we seeing? So again, uh, again, from any of the major OEMs, you're talking a minimum of six months testing. Um, now, it's not nonstop because there'll have to be some iterations. Hey, we tested this. We need to make this tweak. Hey, we tested that. We need to make this other tweak. But it is, you know, when I say nonstop, meaning it continues on for again a minimum of six months, and quite frankly, twelve to fifteen is not abnormal. That that's crazy. Again, from a yeah. from a big OEM. Right, right. And for the smaller ones, of course, the the timeline just goes down. You know, because I'd imagine that they need to get product out there, and so that's that's the yeah. And thing. again, they have less people to less people to test it. Right. If you have you know, you know, five or eight people in your test group. You can do a lot more if you have three or four in your whole company. Right, right, of course, definitely. Well, listeners, you know we've we've talked a lot about a lot of different topics today, and Michael, obviously, we always appreciate you being able to come on, and we want to make this more frequent. You and I have talked about that. We want to bring you on back, uh, you know, time and time again to talk about different topics. And listeners, if you're listening to this and you've, this has prompted more questions in your mind, please feel free to get a hold of either myself or Michael. You can find both of us on Twitter. Uh, Michael's available at vgolfman on Twitter, and of course you can reach out to me at Golf Unfiltered. And Michael, we'll uh, we'll kind of you know keep our eyes and ears open, see what people are talking about. You know, I know that they've sent you emails, me as well, and we can also check the forums over at thehackersparadise.com to get even more questions. And uh, let's do this again soon. Yeah, and hopefully we're still friends after Saturday's round of golf. I think we will be, but uh, time will have to tell. As long as the weather holds out, I think we'll be okay. I'm looking forward to it. I. I am as well. Thanks, Adam.